Well, we've been uh, promoting the musical Gospel of John uh, for several months, I guess for weeks and weeks on end. And uh, you might recognize uh, the soloist John Phillips who walked among you as he sang It Is I from several years back. He played Jesus in, uh, in our passion place that we had. And so uh, we're going full bore with the presentation of the book of John, a modern uh, passion play based on the Gospel of John. And uh, on April 7th, the choir is going to present two presentations at that at 10 and 5 p.m., 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. Uh, we also have a plan for placing thousands of copies of the Gospel of John in the hands of adults, students, and children through Northeast Columbia. And uh, then we uh, have worked with our Sunday school leadership to, uh, to provide uh, for them, encourage them to uh, produce a list of people who, who need to get the Gospel of John into their hands, to get the Gospel of Jesus Christ into their hands. And they've got to take five to make five challenges of identifying five people, praying for them, and then being able to share the good news. And then we'll also, during the month of March, hear testimonies from people about how God is working in their life in this process of preparing for the Gospel of John, the Passion Play itself, and all that we're doing in between then. So I thought it would be a great time was to take a, a look at a portion of the Gospel of John uh, that is fairly significant about the role of Jesus Christ and how the writer John presents Jesus and uh, how we can learn more about him and relate to him. Uh, John's Gospel has been called the Gospel for Everyone and it's been called also the most influential book of the New Testament. Uh, John kind of stands alone from the other three of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the Synoptic Gospels. They're similar. Uh, they draw from the same sources and have the same basic theme. While John focuses on, on a different, uh, different theme for Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, and, and, and Luke refer to, to Jesus uh, more about what he taught and what he did. And John portrays Jesus more as who he is. So it's not surprising then that when we, when we look at the Gospel of John, we see that Matthew, Mark, and Luke refer to Jesus as king, servant, and son of man. John refers to Jesus as the son of God. Uh, and so there's a difference in that. He, he has a high Christology of Jesus, wanting us to know that Jesus is the son of God. And he refers to him that way. He stresses his deity. And while the, uh, gospel, while the gospel writers of Matthew, Mark, and Luke stress the humanity uh, of Jesus Christ and call him the son of man. The interesting is that the key word in John's gospel, uh, and it's emphasized 98 times, the key word in the gospel of John is the word believe. And it's emphasized 98 times. And we find it specifically in John 20, verses 30 through 31. And when John writes to us to tell us what his, what his purpose was for writing this gospel. He says to us that Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's John's whole intent about writing this gospel and having such a high view of Jesus and his deity as the Son of God is to encourage us to believe. To believe in Jesus Christ, to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and in a relationship with God that's real and personal, and to, and to live forever to experience eternal life. So why did John write as he did to affirm the divinity of Jesus as the Son of God? Well, it's basically an answer 
the basic question that's always been asked ever since there's been speculation about Jesus. In every culture, in every civilization, uh, the question has been, who, who do you think that Jesus the Christ is? You know, what, what, what do you think about Jesus who calls himself the Christ? And those are questions that we heard as Jesus walked the face of the earth as well. And at one point in time, Jesus forgave the sins of a paralytic by saying, friend, your sins are forgiven. And immediately, the Pharisees and teachers of the law began to ask, who is this guy who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then Jesus stilled the tempest uh, on the Sea of Galilee, and his astonished disciples asked, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And then there was those who sat at table with a meal with him one day, and they were amazed to hear him grant pardon, forgiveness of sins to a prostitute. And they said, Who is this who even forgives sins? And then when Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee heard the details of the ministry of Jesus, it puzzled him. And he said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey on what we know now as, as Palm Sunday, The the, the whole city, it said, was stirred and asked, who is this? And so the question, who is this, continues to be asked again by every culture and by every society wanting to know about Jesus. The culture in which we live today is a post-Christian culture but with a pluralistic mindset. The pluralistic mindset leads it to think there's no no, no moral truth, no absolute truth, and uh, there are many different ways that you can approach God and many different ways you can go to heaven. And John presented Jesus as the Son of God for one specific reason, and that is to answer that Jesus is the only way to God. He is the Son of God. And to say in many different times, in many different ways, though, that the answer to all of the questions of life are found in Jesus And we're going to look at seven of those great statements that Jesus made in affirmation of who he is over the next seven weeks. They're the I am statements that Jesus made, and they're unique to the Gospel of John. We'll hear Jesus say, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. As we study these, we're going to see... That Jesus is affirming what we will look today by introduction to us in the Gospel of John is that Jesus is indeed the I am God. And when we find that he is the I am God, we find then that Jesus is is, uh, sufficient for everything in life. And for understanding that Jesus is the I am God, we will find that he is sufficient answer to everything that goes on in your life and in mine. And it's also a self-disclosure. When he says, I am the I am God. I am. And so we're going to look at that in John 8. So if you've got your Bible, the phone app, or whatever you're using, look with me to John 8. And let me just set the table for us. Jesus has been teaching. He's been making some powerful statements about who he is and pointing out some failures in the life of these Pharisees and other Jews. Ever since Jesus made this statement in, 8, in chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but have the light of life. He was under attack. The Pharisees were under attack. They asked him such questions as, who is your father, and where is your father? And, and when Jesus told them that, he would die, that they would die in their sins, they scoffed at him. And they said, who do you think you are? And when Jesus told them that the truth would make them free, and that they, would be, they were children of Abraham, they said, we, 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 
we're children of Abraham, but we have never been in any kind of bondage. And Jesus was talking about the bondage of sin that they were in at that time. And then Jesus talked about the fact that they were actually children of the devil and that they were not children of God. And then that leads us to our scripture for today. And you can understand that when it reaches this point where we come in in verse 48 in John chapter 8, that there is, a, there is a, an intense dislike for Jesus and a heated argument going on between the Jewish leaders and Jesus who are proclaiming and trying to defend himself as to who he is before them. So we'll pick up in John chapter 8, at verse 48. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Now that's two knocks that they had against Jesus. They hated the Samaritans, so they were accusing Jesus of being a Samaritan. And they were accusing him of being possessed by a demon. I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my Father, and, and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now that was a profound statement to make and for the Jewish leaders to hear, that they would never see death. At this the Jews exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Repeatedly they asked that question. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know me, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Yet you, you are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself and slipping away from the temple grounds. There's there's a lot of discourse, a lot of things to pick up in this discourse, in this argument that's going on. They're just absolutely ridiculing Jesus for the statements he's making. At the same time, they're astonished at what he is saying. And all of it ties together with Jesus giving through the words of John recording the, the facts of who he is. That he glorifies the Father, the Father glorifies him. He is one with the Father. He is the I am God. And they could never understand what Jesus was meaning when he talked about the fact that Abraham looked forward to the day that Jesus came. And they said Abraham died along with all the other prophets. How can you be making this kind of statement? Well, I think what we're understanding here is that if you can't win an argument with your opponent, you can always attack him or her. And I think we're seeing that in the politics in our government today. And that's what the Jewish leaders were doing to Jesus at this time. And Jesus replies to their insults with an explanation, a warning, and an invitation. And their response still was, you've got a demon. Who do you think you are? How can you claim to know Abraham? Abraham died a long time ago, and you're not even yet 50 years old. It's just more and more evidence of the fact that they had no clue. They did not understand. They would not accept that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. So we're left today to deal with this question. You know, who is Jesus to you? Who is this Jesus known as Jesus the Christ? How, 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 
how can you come to understand what Jesus means when he says, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. Well, let's break it down into some points where it applies to our life and understanding all of this and coming to to this knowledge about Jesus that John wants us to know and to believe in as he writes his gospel for us. First, we look at the affirmation. And we find that Jesus is affirming three basic truths. Number one, he is affirming that Jesus is equal with God. See, the name I am is the same name that God the Father designated for himself in Exodus 3.14. God had appeared to Moses in the burning bush that was not consumed. He gave him a task to go to Pharaoh and demand the freedom and the release of his children who had been held captive in Egypt. And so so, uh, Moses wanted to know on what authority he was going. And so he said, "Who, who shall I tell them sent me? And God said, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say. I am has sent me to you. And God went on to say, this is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. He is the I am God. And here we find Jesus making the same statement and rightfully claiming the name I am. That's why we read in verse 59 that the Jews wanted to stone him. They thought Jesus was using the name of God and blasphemy and was deserving of being stoned. I am was reserved for God and God alone, and Jesus was claiming equality with God. And Jesus also was saying he was equal to God because he is God in the flesh. He was coming as God in the flesh, the Son of God, but yet he came in foolish God and full humanity. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, he was describing Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. It's interesting the word John used, the word that Paul uses there. The word grasp means to securely hold on to something that is already in your possession. So what Paul is saying in that passage is that Jesus is in every way equal to God Almighty, but he voluntarily chose to become the Son of God and did not hold on to everything that he possessed before he came to earth. He chose to submit himself to the Father, to the role that God had for him to come to earth and die for the sins of mankind. Now, he's also saying here that he's not only equal with God, but Jesus is saying that he is eternal with God. He is eternal with God. Here in our text, Jesus claims to have eternally existed. In his controversy with the Jews, he said, I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And then much to the critics, the hand of the protest, they said, Abraham died and so did the prophets. Are you greater than our father Abraham? Who do you think you are? And Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And they said, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? And he said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. And that claim that he lived before Abraham, he did not say before Abraham was, I was, but he said before Abraham was, I am. In other words, he's saying, I not only have lived before Abraham, but I have always been. It's without a doubt that he is proclaiming that he is the eternal God. That he is existing before Abraham. One commentator says the, the word of the eternal God cannot be anything other than eternal. He is the eternal, eternal preexistent God. 
And then Jesus' eternal nature is taught throughout the New Testament. See, John emphasized the preexistence of Jesus by declaring from the very beginning in John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Paul in Philippians 2.6 at the same time said he existed in the form of God. The word form means possessing all the attributes of the subject being discussed. In Colossians 2.9, Paul describes Jesus as being in the fullness of of the deity and all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form in Jesus. And then Jesus has also claimed the pre-existence with God with absolute clarity. In John 6, 38, he said, For I have come down from heaven. In John 8, 23, he said, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. In John 10, 10, he said, I and the Father are one. In John 17, 5, he prayed, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Do you catch that? I had that glory with you before the world began. Jesus claimed to have existed eternally in the same way that God the Father has. Now if he did not exist as he said he had, then the rest of the Bible becomes meaningless. His death, burial, and resurrection meant nothing if Christ is not eternal. The whole point of the cross was that God became man and lived a sinless life and died in our place. Why? Because God loves you, he loves me, he loves all of us, and he continually seeks a loving relationship with us that's real and personal. Jesus says he's not only equal and eternal, but the third thing he says is that he is essential with God. What do we mean by that? Well, let me give you some examples. Jesus is essential to give us the way to God. How do we get to God? He tells us in John 4, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. When we go through the I am statements, we'll look at that in greater detail as to what he means by that. Jesus is also essential to our salvation. Acts 4, 12 tells us, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. And then he is essential to our peace, our hope, and our assurance in life. In John 10, 28, Jesus said, talking about the ones who have come to him for salvation, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. We are eternally secure in Jesus Christ. So Jesus describes himself and claims that and declares that I am the I am God. That was his great affirmation. I am the I am God. Now secondly then, let's look at the assurance that that brings to us when we hear Jesus confirm the fact that he is the I am God. How is he sufficient for us? How do we see God in our life and in the life of Jesus? You see, the reality is that as God in the flesh, Jesus affirmed every aspect and every attribute of God the Father. When God revealed his name I am in the Exodus event, a pattern emerged as evident in the life of Jesus. He is the I am of authentic purpose. God's purpose through Moses was to set free his children from captivity into Israel. God's purpose in Jesus was to send him in the world and to set us free from the captivity of sin. Jesus described his mission and his purpose by saying, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And when he calls himself the Son of Man, that quote is from Luke 15.10. So we see that in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke called him Son of Man. And then Jesus went and died on the cross as a perfect sacrifice to fulfill his promise. And secondly, he says, I, the I am of amazing power. 
to fulfill his promise in the Exodus, God did some amazing things with his power. He parted the Red Sea. And then once they were saved, he displayed his amazing power all the way through, bringing them into the promised land. In Jesus, we see his amazing power expressed in the miracles that he performed. Things like calming the sea. Things like raising the dead. Things like giving sight to the blind, enabling those who were crippled to walk. You see, it's one thing to sit at a table and to say to somebody, your sins are forgiven, which we heard Jesus do that on many occasions, because you can't see inwardly what's going on in somebody. But it ought to be evident when somebody's sins are forgiven that their life is different and we live differently. But when you perform a miracle and somebody who was blind can now see, somebody who was crippled can now walk, you see the storm raging over the sea and Jesus spoke and calmed the waves and the storm. You see those results and they are undeniable, the power of Jesus Christ is that I am God. And then he says, I am the God of assured provision. All along the journey of the Israelites, God provided for them all that they needed. He provided for them the manna and the quail and, and water for their journey. And we see the same thing in, in Jesus Christ. In every one of the I am statements, we see how he is sufficient for all of life. I am the bread, the way, the door, the truth, the life, the light, the good shepherd, and the resurrection. In Jesus Christ, there is the abundance of all that we need for life. So the reality is, as we go through life with Jesus Christ, we find in his eternal presence the assurance of God in the flesh who will always accomplish his purpose, who will always reveal his amazing power, who will always give the needed provisions for life. Strength, wisdom, guidance, hope, peace, joy. All those things that we need for life. Jesus, the I am God, provides those for us. Jesus, that I am God, is sufficient for all of life. Now, in this third point, let's bring the application right down to your life and mine. What does that mean for your life? What does it mean for my life that Jesus is the I am God? Well, it means some very powerful things. If he is the preexistent incarnate God, then there are several things that are, uh, that are affirmed. And we can apply them to our everyday life. Number one, Jesus is in complete control. There's no anxiousness and no anxiety in heaven. God is not wringing his hands on the throne wondering what's next. What in the world are these people going to do next down on earth? We don't have complete knowledge. But God does. Jesus does. Jesus existed before time. He created all there is, and John is the gospel writer who tells us that. And he always keeps his eternal purpose before him. Isaiah tells us that this God knows the end from the beginning. And that means he can comfort us in our grief. He can help us choose and make the right decisions for the future. He can help us accept the mysteries of life. And he is sufficient to guard the past and to guide us into the present and to guarantee the future. And secondly, Jesus is not surprised by anything. He has perfect knowledge of all things. 
He's not shaken by what takes place. He said in Malachi 3, 6, I the Lord do not change. What that means for us is that he is sufficient to handle the surprises of life. Things take us by surprise in life all the time. Things change rapidly. And we wait anxiously for reports of all kind to come, not knowing what the outcome might be. Nothing surprises Jesus. Nothing shakes him. He is the eternal. I am God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then thirdly, Jesus distinguishes himself from all others. It's very clear that Jesus is distinguished from all the other religious leaders because like Muhammad or Buddha, whoever, Jesus didn't come to establish a religion, but he came to bring us a relationship with God. He came to forgive our sins by dying on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven and we could have a relationship with this holy God. So he came to have a relationship with us so that we could have a relationship with God, not to establish a religion. So now where does that lead us then with the question that we began with? And that is, what do you believe about this Jesus who claims to be the Christ? How do you understand? What do you believe? How do you respond to the statement that he makes when he says, before Abraham was born, I am? You see, the Jewish leaders were were in an an uproar about this man who they thought was committing blasphemy against the holy God. So what do you think about Jesus when he says, before Abraham, I am? That he is the I am God. Well, let me me boil down to you with, with two people who basically said the same thing just in different ways. If you're familiar with the band U2, then you might be familiar with their lead singer, Bono. And I, I don't know a song that they've put out. I don't know that I ever heard anything that they have done. I just know that I've read something about Bono because he professes to be a believer. And this is what he said about Jesus. He said, I think the defining question in life is, who is Christ? And I don't think you're let off easily by saying a great thinker or a great philosopher because actually he went around saying he was the Messiah. He said that's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the Son of God. So either he was the Son of God or he was nuts. Well, that's what Bono said. Jesus was either the Son of God or he's nuts. Now, C.S. Lewis, prolific Christian writer, an atheist for a long, long, long time before God finally got into his heart. And then he's written some of the most profound literature for us. Says the same thing, but in just a little different way. C.S. Lewis says, Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. There are no other options. So you see, it all boils down to this. The Gospel of John was written so that you might believe in Jesus Christ. And by doing so, have eternal life. Remember, the word believe is emphasized 98 times in the Gospel of John. He wants you to believe that Jesus is the I am God, the Son of God, and he wants you to have eternal life. So the question is, then what do you think about this Jesus? Is he just another run-of-the-mill person who's claiming to be God? Is he really God in the flesh? Is he really the eternal, pre-existent Christ who was made incarnate, incarnate as the Word made flesh? Is he the Son of God? Is he the Messiah? Or is he a lunatic? You have to decide. You have to believe. 
You have to choose to believe. God wants you to believe in Jesus. I want you to believe in Jesus. I trust that you will accept Jesus as the Messiah. That I am God. Sufficient for any need in your life. Father God, we thank you that in your love you sent Jesus to us and in your mercy and grace and your wisdom you provided for us the gospel writer John who would capture the essence of the life of Jesus as the Holy One who came to earth as the Son of God so that as we believe in him we will live in relationship with you and we will have eternal life. I pray Father for those of us who have claimed Jesus as Lord, that we will live with him as Lord in our life. And the power of Jesus in our life will be displayed as we live. For others who have not yet accepted him as the I am God, as Savior, as the Son of God, I pray that their hearts might be open today to believe in Jesus the Christ. For it's in his name that I pray. Amen.